I want you to turn to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. We'll just look at one verse, but I'll be making reference to several verses. So if you want to keep your Bibles open or even go back and read what we'll be dealing with, some things that God has touched my heart with. I love it when the Word of God comes like a gentle breeze on the side of your face. God takes something that you read over and over again. As many times as I've read this passage, I, I had not seen it. Maybe you had. Uh, but I'm preaching tonight on an unfamiliar sermon from a very familiar text. I'll be dealing with the subject of Jeroboam. Jeroboam. You'll find his name in chapter 7 and verse 1, but you probably don't know him by this name. But this name is more important to God than the name that we talk about when we normally refer to him. Then Jeroboam, who is, what's the next word? It's the same person. We always know him by Gideon, but yet he now has in chapter 7 and verse 1, a name that was given to him near the end part of the previous chapter. And we'll tell you the reason why in just a moment. But Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. You know, there are testimonies that I have heard over the years traveling and testimonies in this church that a lot of them, uh, you know, they're great, but I can't remember. But then there are testimonies that I hear that I'll, I'll remember them uh, as long as I have mind enough to remember them. It'll be in my heart and on my mind. One of those testimonies came to mind when I started praying about what I wanted to uh, teach and preach on tonight. I'm hoping to just do a Bible study, but you know me, I get carried away from time to time. But uh, Elsie gave a testimony, Elsie Smith, she's here tonight. She gave a testimony one time uh, a few years ago after she had started coming to the church and she talked about her name. Do any of you remember that testimony? If you don't remember, maybe when I tell you a little bit, you'll start to remember, and I don't want to take your testimony from you. But uh, she never liked her name, Elsie. She didn't like her given name. So she started going by Sue. And she would use Sue all the time and, you know, and even instruct others, you know, call me Sue. I don't like that name. And don't laugh when you do that. There's a lot of you, if you go in the hospital, I couldn't find you anyway because you don't go by your name. And a lot of people, they don't like their name, so they go by another name. And then there's nicknames that people give them. I do a lot of funerals for railroaders and every railroader's got a nickname. And, uh, and a lot of times, you know, I, I, I don't ask where they got that name. But she, she didn't like the name Elsie. She just resented the name. She didn't want the name Elsie. So she went by Sue and she wanted everybody else to know her by Sue. But then one day it dawned on her. She was saved, she got saved and the Lord wrote her name down. She started thinking about it. 
What name did the Lord write down? Well, we know the Lord gives us a new name, but she said the Lord knew her by her birth name, Elsie. And she said, if the Lord calls me Elsie, I suppose I don't need to be called Sue. In other words, she tried to change her name, but there's some things that, you know, parents have the right and the authority to do. Your parents, whether you like your name or not, it's so arranged they had the authority to name you and you couldn't have a say because you didn't know how to say anything when you were born. So they gave you your name, whether you like it or not, or they allowed someone else to have that authority to give you your name, but yet the name changed. And she said, I want to be known by the name that the Lord knows me by. And that's a good thing. But I think it's amazing to me. We don't know Gideon by the name that the Lord knew him by. We know him by his old name. But I'm glad God changes things. See, to understand this, you've got to go back to chapter six. And when you go back to chapter six, it's, it's a portrait of what his life was before he has an encounter with the Lord in this particular chapter. It's an unusual encounter. You'll find out that it starts out in chapter six, talking about a fierce group of people who were known as the Midianites. And the Midianites oppressed the people of God for seven years. For seven years, they've tortured them. They've hunted them. They've haunted them. They would raise crops and the Midianites would steal it. And the more harsh that they were, the more the people feared the Midianites. And it got so bad that the people, you don't read about the villages in chapter six, they've left their villages, they've left their homes, they've left their towns. The people of God are now living in the mountains in caves and they're hiding out because they have a fear of this great enemy known as the Midianites. And the enemy seems so great to them that they forget how great that God is and how the Lord is their deliverer. So they Look at the enemy instead of looking at God. And they wind up living in caves and living in fear. Well, one of those individuals that lived in fear was Gideon. And we know even though he was called a mighty man of valor, he was still afraid. There's some people that they have a lot of valor, they have a lot of strength, but there's still certain things that they're afraid of. And he was that type of man. He was afraid of the Midianites. And it had gotten so bad they'd even taken up a lot of the false gods and the false ways of worship because this enemy, they were so afraid of this enemy and, and they didn't know what to do and they were, they were just filled with this fear. It was so bad that we find Gideon, he's threshing wheat, but he's not threshing wheat on a threshing floor, he's threshing it by a wine press because the wine press is so different than the threshing floors. The threshing floor is always in the Bible. It literally means an elevated place. The wine press is more enclosed. He's in a place where the enemy can't see. He's trying to find something to eat and the enemy doesn't know that he has it because he's afraid the enemy will come and the enemy will take what he's trying to get together for him and his family. So he's hiding from the enemy. And he has an encounter. He, the encounter's with the angel of the Lord. But I believe that the angel of the Lord in that passage is literally Jesus Christ himself. 
And when he has this encounter with the Lord, the angel encourages his heart and says, let me tell you how God sees you. God sees you. Gideon is a mighty man of valor. And he said, this is what I want you to do. And just allow me to shorten it some for time's sake. But in the end, he said, I want you to go and I want you to go to your father's altar to his false God, which was his idol. And I want you to tear down the idols. And by this time, they were afraid. See, if they didn't have these idols, that was the only thing that was protecting them from destruction from the Midianites, was trying to be like the Midianites. When are we going to learn as a church? We need to quit trying to be like the world and give in to the world and understand that God has separated us as a people and we don't have to be afraid of the world or the enemy that's coming. God is on our side and that's all we need. So he takes 10 men, 10 servants with him. And he goes by night because he's afraid. And he tears it down. The next morning when they awaken, they realize the altar, the idols is torn down because the altar was always a place of the idols of the false gods as well. And they start questioning, who did this? We're gonna kill them, we're gonna find them, we're gonna kill them. And Joash starts to speak. And Joash said, wait a minute. This was an altar, an idol to Baal. So you're telling me you've got a God that is so weak that you have to fight for him? Let's let Baal contend for himself. In other words, let's let Baal fight his own battle. But of course, you know the problem with any idol. Idols have hands, but they can't do anything. They have eyes and they can't see. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have no power. So when Gideon kept living and he didn't die, That meant that the hand of God was on Gideon and the power of God was on Gideon and they realized the power of God was greater than the power of Baal. So they called him Jerob Baal, which means let Baal contend for himself. Now when he walks in in chapter seven, The Midianites are now angered and they're gathering all of their people together. You'll find out uh, when they come to this place that there's 135,000 of them if you add the two totals together in chapter eight and verse 10. So there's 135,000 Midianites that's come together and, and here is Gideon and there he is standing before them and they see him as the one that's now had an encounter with God and because he had this encounter with God, he's a changed person, he even has a new name. Same person with a new name. And I guess that's the first thing that I want to remind you of. I think you need to be reminded just like they reminded Gideon, and we all need reminded of that, that you're not the person that you used to be after you have an encounter with God. 
You're just not the same after that. Strange thing, Gideon didn't see it. He couldn't understand it, but they could see it. We're now on the other side of it. If we could go back and say, listen, we've got the whole canon of scripture and Gideon, we know what God's gonna do for you. You don't see yourself the way that God sees you and how God's gonna use you. Isn't that strange how sometimes even though people have been changed, they, they're still living with the label they have, the BC label, before Christ label. They're still living under that instead of seeing themselves as a changed person with a changed name and that God has done something in their life. And that's how Gideon comes on the scene in chapter seven. You're not the person you used to be. He's now going into a new chapter. Some of you are at a place where in your life you've come from a chapter six and now you're starting into a chapter seven and you're gonna face the greatest battles you've ever faced, you feel like, but may I remind you, you're a changed person. You're a changed person. So Gideon takes these individuals and through these circumstances, we find him meeting with them at the well of Herod. 32,000 of them. Strategically, it, it looks like the perfect place to be to fight a battle. Uh, it comes this spring. It's really a fountain. They call it a well, but it's really a fountain that has developed into a pool. And it comes from, Mount, Mount, uh, from the mountain and there where it's coming from Mount Gilboa. It's, it's feeding that pool that's there. And, and here, this water is on the side of the hill and they can look down into the valley. So it's a constant spring to be refreshed, just what an army would need. And they can keep their eye on the enemy that's down in the valley. There's only one problem with it. It looks like the perfect place. It looks like where they'd exactly want to be except for one problem. The well of Herod is literally interpreted as being the fountain of trembling or the fountain of fear. Now it looks like the perfect place, but uh, <laughs> he's got a bunch of people that's already afraid. And there's a valley that's so filled with the enemy that he takes them to the pool of fear to watch the enemy when they're already afraid. Let me say this for the second point. First, you are not the person that you used to be. I don't care what the world says about you. I don't care what they can remember. If you've had an encounter with God, you're not the person you used to be. And then second of all, you have no business going back to where you used to be. God had this encounter to overcome the fear and the first thing he does to prepare the army is he takes them to a place called fear, trembling. You don't prepare your people by telling them. I mean, why would a coach tell them, now I know you're gonna lose tonight, just get out there and lose the best way you can. You don't stand a chance of winning. You we all know you don't stand a chance of winning. Look at you. You look like a bunch of losers. What are you doing there? Why would you do such a thing when they're already terrified? No, you need to tell people, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God 
had an encounter with you. You've come from a place of fear and you've got it backward. It is not that you are living in fear, really in reality, after your encounter with God, the enemy's afraid of you. You ought to realize the devil is more afraid of you than you should ever be of him. He knows if you ever get this down inside of you that he is done. If you start to understand what God teaches through his word and overcome the fear that is against you, the devil knows what he's using on you won't work anymore and it's over. He comes with 32,000 and takes them right back into the very same thing they came out of. For the life of me, I don't know why churches are trying to drag people back into the sin they came out of. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. Let me move on. You'll get to the place if you're not careful. You'll get to the wrong place. It'll look perfect but it'll be a place where fear will feed you. And you'll go right back to it. And pretty soon you'll start having a pity party for yourself. And you'll not only have a pity party, you'll invite everybody you can think of to come and join the party. And when you all get together, the next thing you know, pretty soon it's overwhelming you and it's greater than what you realize and it'll leave you paralyzed. I talked to Rosalie a little bit today while I was driving back in from Indiana. Uh, they, the reason I talked to her, she, her and Don have some fainting goats. Uh, fainting goats, at one point, they started, they were losing ground quick and now people like them are getting them, raising them again. Uh, but fainting goats are a strange little animal. Uh, they have a, a muscle disease that's caused from a mutation of a gene in their body. So they carry this, this disease inside of them, but just because they have the disease, uh, to look at them, they're asymptomatic. <laughs> they seem fine to look at them. I mean, they eat and, and they're active and everything's fine, but there's one trigger that always works if that disease is active inside of them. One thing, fear. If you scare them or they get afraid, they just fall over. Now what's strange, they're paralyzed. They can't move. They, they say that they, they're fully aware of everything all around them and, and they know what's going on, but they look like they're dead because fear has paralyzed them. Do you know something? If the devil did something to you one time and it worked, he'll make sure he'll bring it up for a second note and he'll take you right back to it because what he's saying is I'm going to paralyze you with fear, but I've come with a message tonight to tell you there is no need to be afraid after you've had an encounter with God. God will see you through. You're not the person you used to be, so don't go back to where you came from. And then I asked myself the question, why would a leader take, a, it's evident they're following him. Why would he take them to a place of fear? Why would he do that? Can you imagine what the outcome would have been in the beginning 
if he would have taken them to a well called victory. But he don't take them to a well called victory. He takes them to a well, a fountain of trembling. You'll do better when you're afraid. Nobody does better when they're afraid. Now don't, don't misunderstand me. It's okay to know the circumstances will let you feel fear. It's okay to feel fear. It's not okay to give in to fear. It's not okay to let fear paralyze you. The news that you got, at first it may cause you to fear. That's okay. It may knock you down. That's okay. But don't stay down. Get back up. Keep going. The news may not be good, but God is bigger than every problem that you've got in your life and he's able to take care of all things. And in the end, he had this encounter, this theophany, Jesus coming to him saying, you don't need to be afraid of the enemy. When you've got God on your side, that's all that you need. Fear. They looked down on them and when they looked at them, they, they said, Look how many there are. They look like a swarm of locusts because they're drinking at the pool of fear. Now, let's get this right. You may not shout me down on this. The devil doesn't care if you go to church. The devil doesn't care if you even shout while you're here. The devil doesn't care if you sing. The devil doesn't even care if you listen to what the preacher has to say. He doesn't care even if you get blessed. As long as you go out of here and go back to where you were after you leave this place. He doesn't want something to get inside of you that says this encounter is so big that now I realize I'm a changed person. So when the devil comes calling tomorrow, what he worked on me with today will not work on me tomorrow because I went to church on Wednesday night at Rubyville and I had an encounter with the Lord and I heard from heaven and God said victory is mine. You do know we're gonna win, don't you? You do know that's already declared. You do know that you're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. You do know that the devil's defeated. The Lord's already taken care of him. You do know that you win. So what can he do? Try to drag you back into what you were in. You are not the person you used to be after an encounter with God. Second of all, you have no business going back where you used to go. And third, you don't need everything that you think you need. Now he's got 32,000. They look like a swarm of locusts. And I've already told you the number is 135,000 Midianites. But they really didn't have 32,000. They had 32,001. <laughs> and
And the one is what makes the difference. When God is on your side. So now the Lord realizing they're full of fear and they're looking at the enemy and the fear gets greater and it magnifies. They're outnumbered four to one, better than four to one already. 32,000 to 135,000. My math's not too good, but that's still better than four to one. By the time God gets through with him, he's down to 300 and one. <laughs> Don't forget the one. 300 and one. It's the hidden man that makes the difference. The one that couldn't be seen and couldn't be counted by the enemy. So now they're outnumbered 450 to one. Odds aren't very good for them. But the truth of the matter is, you're better off with odds 450 to one if you have God on your side. Regardless of the strength of the enemy and regardless the power of the devil. If God's on your side, that's all you need. Fear is a crippling thing. Fear has crippled our society now. We're coming upon the anniversary of two years. Fear has crippled our society. It has absolutely held us bound around the world. Fear. Fear. Constant fear. People live in fear. I'm not talking about being ignorant and acting like something doesn't exist. But I'll guarantee you one thing. What I'm preaching to you tonight, the world knows nothing about. This thing will go on and on and on and on until you decide, I'm not drinking at the pool of fear. I'm drinking at the pool of victory. And the truth of the matter is, I couldn't lose if I wanted to lose because the Lord is on our side and he has never lost a battle. He's never had a problem that he couldn't take care of. He's bigger than everything that we ever face in life. So why do we bind ourselves down with fear? I don't care what the devil has sent your way to try to torture your mind. You may have come into this place tonight saying that I'm going right back, but you can go back with a new name and a new attitude and have an encounter with God if you'll bring that need, that burden, that load to the Lord and leave it there. When the Lord's through with it, you can leave and say, I don't care what the devil thinks he can do. The battle is the Lord's and he's on our side and we have won. Fear. It will cripple you if you let it. So I guess what I'm trying to do is tell you, you may look at yourself and say, I don't have enough. I don't have enough patience. I don't have enough strength. You know, there are times where you just feel like you don't have enough in you to get it done. I, I, don't, I don't have enough money. I, I don't have enough education. I don't have enough connections. Let's get this right. You only need one connection, a kingdom connection. 
And if you're connected to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and if you submit yourself to what he says, and you say, he brought me out and he didn't bring me out for me to go back living in that state of fear. He brought me out to understand I'm gonna make it. I don't know, I don't know why you started this race, but I've made my mind up. I've gotta make it more than anything in this world. I've got to finish what I've got to do what God wants me to do. We've got to go on and march ahead because the Lord has left us here and in his time when our job is done, he'll call us home. So, I pray tonight that you'll leave knowing three simple things. You're not the person you used to be. And you're not going back to where you came from. And you didn't need everything you thought you needed. Because when you have God, you have it all. He is more than enough. 